We've been having fun this summer with the gospel, finding the gospel in the Disney stories. And um, I've, sh- I've shared with you multiple times that when we remember an animated classic from Disney, and by the way, that's what we're looking at, the animated Disney movies, we oftentimes find these stories that have been told uh, sometimes as long as centuries. We're going to talk about one of those stories this morning in Cinderella. But those stories remind us of the human condition. They, they involve sometimes sorrow and tragedy and triumph and victory and rescuing and damsels and all kinds of fun stuff. And these stories, they kind of grab our heart. But what we are doing is we're holding the, these, these human stories, these stories of the human condition in one hand, and then we're holding the Bible in another hand, and we're letting God's response, which is the Bible, God's response to our human condition, we're letting those two things kind of meet together. But we're also kind of having fun with Disney this summer. So um, I hope you've got your Bible there in front of you, maybe, or maybe that outline, or maybe you've got a pen, because we're going to be filling in the notes this morning, filling in the blanks. So I invite you to have uh, maybe your technology device in front of you as we study God's Word this morning. Uh, so we are going to be looking at the, uh, the story of Cinderella. Um, now, Cinderella was uh, made in 1950, and I think uh, it, it was one of the early classics for Disney, but it also, you might not know this, it came on the hills of some movies that actually didn't do very well in the box office. So um, Snow White came out, and Snow White broke all kinds of records and was a phenomenal grand success, put Disney on the map. But then as they began to make movies, and more and more movies, some of them didn't go quite as well. Now, when they were re-released, they did very well. But maybe you knew or don't know, Pinocchio wasn't a great success in the box office. Neither was Bambi or even Fantasia until they were re-released at a later time. So when uh, Cinderella came out, it followed on the heels of three Disney movies that had kind of been flops at the box office. And Walt Disney and his studio were $4 million in debt and about to close the doors. When they went back and they made a story that was centuries old, the story of Cinderella, which had been told in a bunch of different cultures, they made it into an animated movie and it, it became an instant classic. And it brought Disney back from the brink of bankruptcy. Now, what's interesting about Cinderella when it was re- released in 1950, and I've, been, I've really enjoyed kind of going back and kind of reliving these movies as I've watched them with my kids and enjoyed them when they were young, but now get to go back and look for the gospel themes in them, is Cinderella had some great music. You remember that? You had bippity-boppity-boo, right? You had uh, a dream is a wish that your I don't say that word right, wish. A dream is your wish, a wish, I can't say it. A dream is the a wish that your heart makes. I think that's the name of it. You know, there were a lot of great music. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Cinderella was up for an Oscar for the music in that movie. Now, let me do a real quick plug here real quickly. My family and I uh, like to run over to Fayetteville to the dollar movie. Anybody else enjoy that over there? We, we, we live pretty close, you know. By the way, Cinderella, the new version of Cinderella, the, you know, the real not animated version is right now at the dollar movie. And we went over there a few weeks ago, and I got to tell you guys, I thoroughly enjoyed that version of Cinderella. Um, now, that may kind of sound strange that I'm plugging a movie this morning, but um, I found the ending to have themes of redemption and forgiveness, and I thought it was an excellent movie. I found nothing wrong with it. And I would strongly encourage you to, after today, after we talk about all that we're going to talk about today from the gospel, maybe you just dive over to the dollar movie. You're looking for something to do this week. Dive over to the dollar movie and watch that new version of Cinderella. It was a wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, so before we watch our first clip for the day, 
Let me tell you one of the byproducts of this, uh, this new series we're in. Uh, my kids are always wanting to know the next movie that we're going to watch. And so it has become this conversational piece in our family. We're driving down the road yesterday. The whole family's in the car, and, uh, and they're asking me what movie is going to be this weekend. And I said, okay, this weekend is Cinderella. And, and Abby was sitting right behind me, and she said, okay, Dad, what are you going to preach, preach about from Cinderella? What's the gospel tie? And I said, instead of me telling you what I'm going to be sharing from the gospel, why don't you tell me what gospel themes you see in the movie. And I thought, all of a sudden, a, a, uh, a neat conversation opened up in my car. My daughter started sharing things that she sees in the, in the story that could be reflected back in the gospel that had nothing to do with what I was planning to share with you today. She said, uh, she talked about how, uh, how Cinderella's, you know, against the clock and how the clock's going to strike 12. And she said, you know, that's, that's every one of us. Uh, every one of us, every one of us is going to have a day where the clock strikes 12 for us and, and we're going to have to give an account. I thought, well, that's really good. Didn't even plan on talking about that one, you know. And then she talked about other things. And then next week's movie, we dove into that one. She started talking about that one. I won't tell you what that one is. But she started talking about that one. We started uh, talking back and forth. They were giving me incredible ideas. And I say that to say this. Oftentimes, I think we, we enjoy these classics and we, we let our kids watch movies that are out there. Um, some of our kids grow up watching these. But we never, maybe we never even uh, get to a place of conversing about what we can see in these mo- movies that actually represent the kingdom life or represent the gospel or make, maybe can represent the hope we believe in for Jesus Christ. And so let me just tell you, I've enjoyed this series already. I've enjoyed the conversations it's caused us to enter into as a family. And I would strongly encourage you to do the same with your family because just a few questions, just a few wonderings, a few balls bouncing back and forth can really get you to talking about some good things together. So we're going to dive into Cinderella today, okay? And I'm only going to, I'm going to kind of drive one big point home today. It'll, it'll spread out in a couple of different places. But let's watch the opening of the movie just so you kind of remember the story. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, there was a tiny kingdom. Peaceful, prosperous, and rich in romance and tradition. Here in a stately chateau, there lived a widowed gentleman and his little daughter, Cinderella. Although he was a kind and devoted father and gave his beloved child every luxury and comfort, Still, he felt she needed a mother's care. And so he married again, choosing for his second wife, a woman of good family with two daughters just Cinderella's age, by name, Anastasia and Rosella. It was upon the untimely death of this good man, however, that the stepmother's true nature was revealed. Cold, cruel, and bitterly jealous of Cinderella's charm and beauty, She was grimly determined to forward the interests of her own two awkward daughters. Thus, as time went by, the chateau fell into disrepair, for the family fortunes were squandered upon the vain and selfish stepsisters, while Cinderella was abused, humiliated, and finally forced to become a servant in her own house. And yet, through it all, Cinderella remained ever gentle and kind. 
For with each dawn, she found new hope that someday her dreams of happiness would come true. Cinderella remained ever true, good, and kind. You know, this story uh, of Cinderella has been told throughout the centuries. Uh, it's about 350 years old that we can tra trace back, and maybe even other remnants of other stories kind of can trace back to Cinderella as well. It's been told in different cultures, but here's the story in essence. It's the story of a heroine, a, a young girl who is treated so poorly and, and who is really made to live as a slave in her own home, but yet, even by the abuses that are done to her, she remains good and kind and forgiving, and she's hopeful even till the very end. And we know that in the end, the prince will come, try the slipper on her foot, right? And she'll become the next queen. Now, as I sat there watching this movie at the Dollar Theater not long ago, and of course, I've been watching the animated classic as well. As I sat there watching it, I sat there thinking about how everything that was playing along in the movie, all of the poor treatment that she was getting, all the mean words, all of the disgrace they were pouring her way, would one day pay off for her because later on she would become, in that story, the queen. You know, a good queen. Not a bitter queen. Not with an unforgiving heart. She would become a queen who knew how to lead in her kingdom as a queen should with the kind of goodness and kindness that had remained a virtue in her throughout. And as I sat there and watching that movie, and I, I, I had been thinking a lot about the gospel stories, looking at them, my mind went to a scripture, and I put it there as the opening scripture of the outline. It's a scripture that we read around here at Harvest Point all the time. As a matter of fact, it's kind of one of the ones we want you to know and to have memorized. Romans 8, 28. You'll hear it all the time around here at Harvest Point. And it says simply this, we know that all things, all things, not some things, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. It's this understanding that we have about God that even if evil and wickedness is done to us in our life, if hardship and suffering comes our way, God has a way of taking all that stuff and like a towel that's filled with, with some type of water or something, He can wrench it out and bring even out of the nastiness, goodness flows out of it. That's what God does in our life. And we certainly kind of see that in Cinderella. You got your pen? I want to dive into some things I see in Cinderella with you and that I, I think that God might want to have us think about in our own lives. And the first one is this. One of the things that I see happening over and over again in the story of Cinderella, why is she treated so poorly? Her is, it's because of envy. Write that down. Envy is a destructive power in our lives and in our world. Now, what's interesting is Envy doesn't grab the headlines, and nobody really talks about envy, enviousness or, or jealousy or covetousness, but the truth of the matter is, when you see this kind of story, why were they so mean to Cinderella? They envied and were jealous of several things. They were jealous of her beauty. They were jealous of her poise and her charm. My wife even added in the car a couple of days ago, they were jealous because of the love of her dad. Her dad loved her so much, and they wanted his love as well. There's a lot of envy and a lot of jealousy going on. And listen, guys, I want to talk to you about that for a few minutes because there is something inside each and every one of us that can have a bent towards being envious of others, and it's a big thing. It's a big deal, and it can cause us a lot of problems in this life and really destroy relationships. 
Now, the Bible has a lot to say about envy. I've put a few scriptures there in front of you today. I actually want to expound upon that a little bit. But the Bible talks about envy over and over again. Matter of fact, a scripture I didn't even throw in there today. You remember in the very beginning of the, gospel, of, of the Bible, the, the Bible talks about two brothers. Remember? What were their names? Cain and Abel? Yeah, Cain and Abel. And one of them looked at the other one's offering, and one of them looked at the way they were, the, the, the response from God to that offering, and there was jealousy, there was envy, there was covetousness going on, and it even caused the very first murder to happen. You don't have to go very far. Now, what, what are you saying, Stephen? Listen, from the outset as we talk about envy, what I, what I want you to understand is envy is universal. It's happen, it happens in every culture, and it's timeless. It has happened since the very foundation of the world when we were made, we is part of our human nature. There's this jealousy. There's this envious type thing. There's this covetous thing. And even way back in the Bible, early parts of the Bible, you can see it from the very beginning. Envy was there. Jealousy was there. It's so big that God put it in the Big Ten, by the way. In Exodus chapter 20, um, when, when, uh, matter of fact, I'd love to read it to you. I'm going to pull it up real quickly. I don't have it in your, on, on the screen. But in Exodus chapter 20, the Bible uh, reminds us of the power of jealousy and covetousness in our lives and what it does. And God says, don't be this way. In verse 17 of chapter 20, you shall not covet or envy your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This was so important to God that he put it in the Big Ten. He said, I don't want you to live that way. That's not who you are supposed to be. And you travel a little bit further there in the Bible, Genesis 31. I, I, I put this one in there for you to remind you. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She envied her sister, and she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Well, one of the reasons I put that in the Scripture there is it reminds us, sometimes we look at other people, we compare ourselves to other people, and it becomes such a big thing to us. She said, give me a child or I'm going to die. I'd rather be dead if I don't have any children. It had, it, had, it had grown like a root into her heart and into her mind so much, this idea of having children, that it was, it was taking her down dark, dark roads in her thinking. Psalm 37, 1, the psalmist said this, Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. Can I just tell you before? Can I confess to you? I've been envious of wrongdoers. Have you ever been? I, 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 I got Okay, I'm going to confess something. Because envy happens to everybody, right? I have a neighbor that lives in my subdivision, and he collects cars. And the dude has a bunch of great cars. He's got a Corvette. He's got an MG. He's got a convertible Mustang. And I see him drive down the road, and I think to myself, Oh, I just saw some people who live in my subdivision. I'm not going to tell you who I'm talking about. Uh, but I, I see him drive down the road, and I think to myself, Hmm, I bet he doesn't tithe. Because I'm tithing, right? I'm thinking to myself, well, man, if I didn't tithe, I'd have those cars. How crazy of a thought is that? Right? The Bible psalmist said, don't be envious of wrongdoers. Because what happens is when that envy, that green, that bad, that root gets in our heart, all of a sudden our mind takes us to crazy places and we start wanting what other people have and it's not good. Matter of fact, listen to this proverb from the Bible. A tranquil mind, by the way, some translations say a peaceful mind. A tranquil mind give, gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy is a destructive force in our world. And when we start to look at other people um, and, and compare ourselves to them or, or want what they've got, 
it, it takes us into bad, bad places. Can I just remind you of something real quickly? Herod, when Jesus was born, going back to the Bible for a minute, when Jesus was born, the king of the land heard there was a new king being, being born. And he was so envious of the new king and what the scriptures had to say about the new king that remember all the babies that he killed? Remember what? You see what envy does? He was just jealous. He was envious of a baby. And what happened was it caused him to go to bad places in his mind. Just a couple of thoughts on this word. I want to show you the Greek word for envy. All right? I'm going to throw it up on the screen real quick. The green word, Greek word for envy is phonos. Phonos. Now, if you, if you put an O in front of there, you can kind of see that the word ophthalmology would kind of start right in there. Do you see that? But the kind of idea behind that Greek word um, is um, a corruption of, of the mind and a corruption of the soul. And maybe even you could see it this way, the evil eye, the evil eye. Whenever our eyes go to the wrong place and we start looking at other things we shouldn't look at or, 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 or like the psalmist said, envious of wrongdoers, uh, or it, it takes us to bad places. And you and I need to be careful that we can have an envious eye and an envious heart. You got your pen? I don't have it in your outline today, but I was thinking about this week. Something I've noticed about envy in my own life, if I were just to lay out an order of how envy works in my life, kind of how it progresses through my life, maybe you could flip on the back of that outline. I just wanted to give you what I consider four quick symptoms or progresses or journeys of where envy takes you. And the first one is simply this. We compare ourselves to others, okay? Write that one down. Number one, first symptom of envy, we compare ourselves to to others. Now, this is easy to do, and you can do it on so many different levels. I mean, one person is looking at other people and going, why can't I be shaped like them? And why my bone structure like this? And, and why do I weigh this? And they weigh that. And God, God, why did you make me this way? You can compare yourself physically to somebody else. You know, I, I love the way Oscar sang this morning. Oscar got a great job, great, great voice. I'm a singer. I've been singing my whole life. It'd be, it'd be very easy for one vocalist to compare themselves to another vocalist and say, hey, man, I wish I could sing like that or hit that note or do that kind of thing. We do it all the time, guys. You can do it with your job. You know, you compare your, your job to somebody else's job and you want their job instead of being happy with your job. You can do this in so many different areas. You can compare yourself to other people. And when you start doing that, oftentimes what happens is you go to a bad place in your mind. You want an example of this? Picture a guy. Picture a guy who is happy with his life, has a great family, got a great job, makes a good salary, got benefits at his job. His life is pretty good. And he's pretty happy with his life. But all of a sudden, he gets invited back to his 20-year high school reunion. And he goes back to his 20-year high school reunions, and he sees a bunch of his high school friends. And it appears to them like they got a lot of stuff that he doesn't have. He looks at their cars, and it looks like they drive nicer cars than he does. He looks at their jobs, and man, the stories are that their job, they're happy with their jobs, and their jobs are just seem like they're making more money than his job. You know, he looks at their, he, he hears a story about their houses, and he thinks, man, they live a little nicer than me. He even looks at maybe some of their, their wives and thinks, man, they're a little, she's a little prettier than my wife, you know. And then he goes back from his high school reunion, right, and he looks back at his life, and he, he's not quite as happy with his life anymore. What is the one thing that changed? How he thinks about his life. He got the evil eye. 20 years later, and he goes back to this high school reunion. The only thing that changed was the way he perceives the world. Listen, here's what I want, the first symptom of, of envy. When you compare yourself to others, almost always bad things are going to happen. I've told you before that every year I go to a, uh, 
a clergy event, a clergy conference that we hold here for the United Methodist Church in Athens. And when you walk through the door, there's a little piece of paper there, and it has every pastor's name on there and their salaries, all right? And I used to pick that paper up, and I would look through there and find my salary, make sure it was right. And then I would look at other people's salary, you know, and I would look at their, and some of them, it always caused two bad things to happen to me whenever I compared myself to other people by picking up that paper. I would either look at people who made a bigger salary than me to go, and I would go, man, why don't I make that salary? I need to make that salary. And I would always be envious of them. Or I would look at people who made less than me, and I would go to a bad place in my own pride, you know. I make more than they do. I stopped picking up that paper. That paper did nothing good in my soul at all. Why? Because I was comparing myself to others, and that takes you to a dark place in your thinking. Symptom number one, I just noticed these things about myself. When you start comparing yourself to others, that's kind of the first big step towards going to a bad place in your soul when it comes to envy. The second one is this. Um, You start wanting what other people have. You want their stuff, all right? And their stuff can be the way they look or the clothes they wear or the jobs they have. You want their stuff. And you start coveting their stuff. Third step is not too far away from there. You, and, th- and this is your third symptom. You desire, you want other people to become envious of you, right? So you, and by the way, this is, this is a very common thing. You want people to want to be like you, to want your stuff, right? You want to be envied by other people. And then here's the fourth step, and this goes to a bad, bad place. The fourth step is we can secretly start to want others to fail. We want them to fail. We don't want them to be successful because we don't want them to have what we have. Or that maybe, maybe that involves their, their, their position or their prestige or whatever it is. We want them to fail. Socrates one time said this, envy is the ulcer to the soul. Envy is a destructive force in our lives. And I guess if I were just to ask you this morning, we're watching Cinderella, watching how these stepsisters and this mean old evil stepmother, who, by the way, gave bad name to every other stepmother, right? I mean, uh, we're watching them and we're thinking, why do they treat her so bad? Guys, it's just jealousy. It's covetousness. It's envy. And they are so mean to her. And she's done nothing to them. I put a scripture in your outline this morning, and it's that classic story, and I kind of saved this one for last, that story of Joseph in, in Genesis. When you, you know Joseph had his brothers, right? Well, Cinderella had her stepsisters, right? Joseph had his brothers, and his brothers looked at him, and dad liked him a little bit more, and he was a handsome guy, and he, he was pretty smart, and his brothers decided, you know what? It'd be better for us just to get rid of him, and they they tried to basically sell him off and maybe hope that he died somewhere. They, they sold Joseph off into slavery. You remember the story, right? A lot of bad things came into Joseph's life from those stories. But Joseph, almost very much like Cinderella, Joseph remained good in his heart. Even though people did evil to him, he remained good and noble in his heart. And he understood that Romans 8.28 thing, even though it had not been written yet. He understood that God would bring about good even when bad things were done to us. And then what happened in the end? Joseph went through a bunch of, you know, bunch of travails, a bunch of problems, went to prison, all kinds of things, until finally he was honored and he became second in charge of the Pharaoh's kingdom and he saved all of Egypt from a famine and a disaster and even saved God's people too. His own family, his own brothers who had, who had, who had envied him and been jealous of him and sold him into slavery come and ask for food and they don't even recognize him and he's sitting there 
over, over all the land of Egypt and all the other people that are being fed. Read this in, in, in Genesis 50, 20. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What, what, in that one story, we're presented with two different ways to live. You can live as a person who is, who is envious, who's got the evil eye, who's always looking and comparing themselves to others, who maybe even secretly wants others to fail. You can live that way, but that's not the way God made you to live. Or you can live as more of the Cinderella model, right? Seeking to live good, true, noble, like Joseph, and understanding that even if evil is done to you, even if wickedness comes your way, even if there's sorrow or suffering, God will bring it about for your good, that he wants you to live a different way. And we're going to talk about what that way looks like in the next few minutes. But before we do that, I want you to watch this next clip because now you're going to see to Cinderella what happens when evil moves beyond just mean words to even more. Now remember, when you're presented to His Highness, be sure... Wait! Please, wait for me! Isn't it lovely? Do you like it? Do you think it will do? After all, we did make a bargain, didn't we, Cinderella? And I never go back on my word. Hmm. How very clever. These beads, they give it just the right touch. Don't you think so, Drizella? No, I don't. I think she's... Oh, why, you Cinderella is almost about to give up hope. She has been as good as she can be to these mean people. And I got to tell you, a few weeks ago when I was sitting there watching that movie over at the Dollar Theater in Fayetteville, there was a side to me that kept thinking, she's about to blow it. I knew the whole story, right? But they kept saying such mean things to her. They kept treating her so bad. I was kind of sitting there hoping she didn't mess it up, you know, because she stayed so good even until the final end. Why are they so mean? So mean that they would tear her dress apart, so mean that they would make her a slave inside of her own home. I don't have this scripture in the outline. I invite you to turn with me, but I just felt led to share a scripture this morning as I was driving to church. I started thinking back on this scripture from Galatians. I just thought I'd add it. I'm gonna, we're going to throw it up on the screens here real quickly, but listen to the words of Paul to the people of Galatia. Uh, by the way, who, who he saw them as putting themselves in slavery and in bondage because they were wanting to go back and and they're wanting to go back and follow some Jewish laws that he didn't feel like they needed to follow as a people now led by the new covenant of grace. And he, was, he had already told them, don't put yourself in slavery. Don't put yourself in bondage. You've been, you've been meant to live a different life. Listen in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Listen to that. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. You hear that one? Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I mean, did you ever think that envy would be thrown in there with some of those other things? Paul is saying, he gets it. Paul is saying, listen, this is not who you were meant to be. You were meant to be free, not a slave to all that stuff that is your old nature. Hey, you got your pen? Write in point number two for me. And I'm going to be careful with how I use this word this morning. But I, I, used, I chose to use the word. Number two, and that is this. Slavery is a terrible place to live. Slavery is a terrible place to live. Now, you know what? In our culture, especially here in the South, that slavery, that word comes with a lot of connotations. But I just want to go to the biggest connotation of slavery of all. And that is the biblical understanding of what it means to be a slave to sin. Guys, we all know what it's like to be like Paul here and to be like these Galatian people and to have this struggle, you know? We've got, this, we've got the, the God life because we, we believe in Jesus Christ. He's given us His Holy Spirit. We've got a new nature, but yet we're struggling to crucify sometimes the old nature, right? And we know who we've been called to be. He's called us to be free. But then we have sometimes these jealous and these envious thoughts, and we, we do literally what he talked about us doing. We want to destroy other people. We don't want their best, and we have to keep putting down this evil, sinful nature. You, know, you watch this part of the movie, Cinderella, right? They tear apart her dress. She runs off in tears. She, she falls down out in the courtyard, and we're going to watch a clip in just a minute, and she about gives up hope. She's tired of believing. She, she's about to give up. And it's, it's at this moment in the movie that kind of our heartstrings are grabbed, right? Because this girl has endured so much. We want her to keep holding on, but it grabs a hold of our heartstrings. And I found myself, listen, I found myself watching the movie and as I was kind of cheering her on in the movie, watching it, thinking, come on, don't mess up, keep believing, right? Keep believing, keep hoping. I thought to myself, and just kind of a crazy passing thought, my mind went back to Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm not going to read it to you, but the Bible says basically this, Hebrews ch chapter 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the Bible talks about that literally the kingdom of heaven is rooting us on is rooting us on. So in those moments when we're battling with our good nature versus our, our, our dark nature, and we're sometimes feeling like we're winning the battle, and sometimes we feel like we're absolutely losing the battle. You know, we're becoming slaves to our sin. I got this picture almost of heaven cheering us on, saying, keep on going. 
Like Paul did to the Galatians, he said, listen, you were meant to be free. Don't go put yourself back under those old ways of living, those old bad places of living. You were meant to be free. And it's like heaven is rooting us on. You know, I got to tell you, as a pastor, I see sometimes people that are just, um, they're, they're, they're crushed because of this perpetual war that kind of happens in our world, you know, in our, in our, even in our spirit lives. This thing where Paul said, I want to do good, but sometimes I can't do the good. It's like that, that dark nature is inside of us. And I think in this Cinderella movie, we're actually meant to kind of look at the evil stepsisters and say, is there some of that in us? I don't know where you're at today. But if you feel like you've been losing the war, if you feel like you, the world's been on top of you, if you feel like it's been not going well for you, I want to tell you, the Bible gives us a promise. You know, if you feel maybe like Cinderella, that's, that's your world today, crushed, about to give up hope, about to stop believing, tears pouring out, going, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, you know, read this with me. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 18, this is a scripture that I would hope everybody in this church will remember in those moments where you're at your lowest of your low. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You know, whenever I go to a family that's struggling with a death in their family or, or some new disaster has come their way, I, I take that scripture with me because it reminds me that God's not far away in this moment. The Bible says exactly the opposite is true. When you're at your lowest of your low, God is close. The Bible promises he's close. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in their spirit. And I, I, I wanted to share that scripture this morning because at any given moment, on any given Sunday here at Harvest Point, anybody could be anywhere. And, and you could be at a moment right now of personal lowness in your own life. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe it's just some, some, something going on in your own kind of soul and in your mind. Listen, the Bible promises when you're at your lowest of your low, that God is close and he comes in wanting to save and wanting to mend up those who are crushed in their spirit. One more scripture here about this uh, slavery place of being in the, in the when, when we're held in. By the way, let me, before I show this scripture, who was in slavery here? Cinderella was supposed to be in slavery in her own house, right? I mean, she was the one who was being called to, to, to mop the floors and do the dishes, right? She was a slave in her own house. But who was the real slave? It's the evil, wicked stepmother, right? And the daughters who are enslaved to their own envy and jealousy and wickedness that's who's in slavery. Who are we called to be? The Bible says in Romans 8, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, it's capitalized, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. You know, I think every time we start to get envious and we, we look at others and we say, okay, God, why don't I have what they have? Why don't I look the way they do? I think in essence what we're doing is we're looking at God and saying, the life you've given me is not good enough. I want somebody else's life. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit reminds us that we've been called to be sons and daughters. And even the, the Spirit inside of us cries out, Abba, Father, which means Daddy God or Papa God. The, the people we were really called to be was the people who understand that we have a heavenly father and we trust him. And the lives he's given to us, the bodies he's given to us, we trust him. And we, we say thank you. We thank you, God. And we find contentedness in that, not comparison with other people. 
Well, okay, so she's in danger of giving up hope, right? And then what happens? <laughs> Watch this clip. Many people's favorite part of the whole movie. I can't believe. Not anymore. There's nothing left to believe in. Nothing. Nothing, my dear. Now, you don't really mean that. Oh, but I do. Nonsense, child. If you'd lost all your faith, I couldn't be here. And here I am. Oh, come now. Dry those tears. You can't go to the ball looking like that. The ball? Oh, but I'm not. Of course you are. But we'll have to hurry. Because even miracles take a little time. Miracles? Mm-hmm. What? What did the world did I do with that magic wand? I, I was magic sure I... What? That's strange. I, I always... Why, then you must be... Your fairy godmother? Oh. Where is that wand? I... Oh. I forgot. I put it away. Look at what she did. How she do work? Now, let's see. Hmm. I, I say the first thing you need is, um... A pumpkin. A, a, a pumpkin? Mm-hmm. Now, um... Now, the, the magic words. Salagadoolamentricaboolabibbity-bobbity-boo. Put them together, and what have you got? Bibbity-bobbity-boo. Salagadoolamentricaboolabibbity-bobbity-boo. It'll do magic, believe it or not. Bibbity-bobbity-boo. Now, Salagadoola means a mentricaboolaroo. But the thing in the box that does the job is bibbity bobbity boo. Yeah, we'd like to continue watching the movie, right? All right. Here, here's what I want to remind you. Have you got your pen? Uh, she's about to lose hope, right? And did you hear those words? I, I just can't believe anymore. There's nothing to believe in anymore, right? She's lost her daddy. She's lost her mama. And now she's being treated so roughly. Write this one down, point number three. And I, I just kind of wanted to close down with this. Uh, there, this, this story reminds us, even in the gospel, and the gospel reminds us, there is no hopeless situation. There is no hopeless situation, and there is no hopeless cause, and there is no hopeless person. And I wanted to remind you of that today. She's in danger of losing hope, and I just kind of want to go back to Romans 8, 28, that, that God will, all things will work together for the good of those who are, who are loved by God and called according to His purposes. Hope is important, right? And there are moments that we have a lot of hope, and there's a moment where our hope t- tends to flicker in, the, in this life. And I don't know where you are today, but I've noticed this about people. Look at this scripture from uh, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Hope deferred. You know what that's talking about? You ever had your hope deferred before? You ever hoping for something and it just didn't come your way? One of my best friends right now is, is praying for a job and praying for a job, and it just seems like it's, you know, he, he, it's right there, but he doesn't know whether it's the right job, and, and it's, it's just he's had hope after hope, and hope deferred can make the heart go sick. I've seen that happen for so many people. Somebody hoping they would get married, you know, hoping they'd found the right person, and then it wasn't quite the right person. And they, they experience some of this, you know. Hope deferred can make the heart grow sick. I've seen folks pray for babies, right? Want to have children. But 
something happened and something happened. They couldn't quite have children. And boy, I have seen the heart grow sick. The Bible is just truth, guys. Hope deferred can make the heart grow sick. We see that with Cinderella, don't we? But here's the truth of the gospel. There is no hopeless situation. And God wants you to have hope. The psalmist said it this way, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Put your hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my help and my God. It's when we get to that place of you know, getting so close to not believing, or we get hopeless, or, or we start to lose hope, that we, we start to forget that our hope is in our God. The psalmist said, listen. He, started talk, he even addressed his own soul, looked at his own soul and said, listen, soul, you better start believing. You better start trusting. You, you put your faith and your hope in God. And remember, who is your rock? And guys, I, I just, okay, so Disney, right? How does Disney bring hope to Cinderella? A fairy godmother, right? I mean, I dare say any of us in this room, none of us in this room, well, I shouldn't say all of us. There's always one in the crowd. I mean, most of us don't believe in fairy godmothers, right? I mean, most of us, okay, you do, okay. <laughs> but, but Disney brings a fairy godmother who shows up on the bench and says, oh, I'm here for you. Look, I be you, your belief brought me to this place. Here's what we know about our God. Our God has done something far greater than some fairy godmother show up one time in our life and make things right for us till 12 midnight and it's all going to go back to normal, right? Our God has done so much more than that. The Bible says the Lord, listen, the Lord gave us the seal and the promise of His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit gets put into our life. One of the reasons, listen, there's many reasons the Holy Spirit gets put in our life. One of them is to give us power to witness. So when we start to talk to others about who, our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit starts talking for us and through us. That's one of the reasons the Holy Spirit comes in us. Another reason that the Holy Spirit comes in our life is the Holy Spirit gives us gifts Gifts to do ministry for the kingdom of God. That's another reason. There's several reasons the Holy Spirit comes into our life. But one of the most important, listen, one of the most important things, reasons that God gave us the Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the ability to believe and have hope. Have hope and to trust. Romans 15, 13, read this scripture. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the, what's those last two words? The Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that scripture one more time because, man, my eyes got open to that this week. I've read this scripture a lot, but all of a sudden you can read a scripture and it'll come alive and brand new to you. Listen to this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And oftentimes in my mind I read the next two words, but I kind of don't even notice them. If you have your pen, would you just underline those next two words? Because the thing kind of makes sense without those next two words. You could say, okay, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that you may be, be abounding in hope. But I had, I had kind of skipped over those two words. And Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, may the God of hope, that's, that's who our God is, our God is a God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. How does joy and peace come your way? In believing. In believing, <laughs> I imagine some folks showed up here today struggling to have joy today and struggling to have peace in their life. But here is your answer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to you 
to encourage you, to give you hope. So if you're kind of frustrated with your place in life right now, you know, you know, you look over there at your girlfriend, you go, man, she ain't quite as pretty as I thought she's going to be. You know, is she the right one? Or, or maybe the girl looks over at the guy and say, huh, I wish he'd brush his teeth. You know what? what uh, maybe you're looking at your life situation right now and you need to have hope. And hope's an important thing. And, and encouragement is an important thing. In all seriousness, maybe you're looking at your job right now and you're going, God, God, are you going to provide something for me and my family better than, than this? Maybe you're looking at your salary. Maybe you're looking at, at you know, maybe, maybe you've got a relationship that's gone south. Maybe you've got an adult child that's gone wayward. Maybe you're looking at it and you're losing hope. Hope is an important thing. And there is no hopeless situation. That's the gospel. And that's the good news. Cinderella sings a beautiful little song. Have you ever thought about it before? She says, she says, no matter how your heart is grieving, if you keep on believing, I can find the gospel in that. I can find the gospel in that very simple song that no matter how my heart is grieving, if I keep on believing, because Romans tells me that the God of all hope will abound in me with joy and peace even in the midst, those Romans, they were being persecuted. Even in the midst of that, he can give me hope. So, in your situation, I want to just throw the gospel your way and remind you, there is no hopeless situation, there is no hopeless cause, and there is no hopeless person. The Bible promises us as such. Hey, let's watch the end of the movie, and then let me just remind you of a couple last things, okay? I normally don't show the end of the movie to you, but let's close with the fun part today. All right, we'll close with it. You are the only ladies of the household, I hope, uh, I presume. There's no one else, Your Grace. Quite so. Good day. Good day. Your Grace. Your Grace. Please, wait. May I try it on? Oh, pay no attention to her. It's only Cinderella. Ah, scullery. From the kitchen. It's ridiculous. Impossible. She's out of her mind. Yes, yes, just an imaginative child. Madam? My orders were every maiden. Have my child. But you see, I have the other slipper. All right, yeah. I love the mice in that movie, by the way. Anyway, um, you know, uh, it's easy to lose heart. Just a couple of final thoughts today. The easy thing to do is to lose heart when life gets rough. That's the easy thing to do. The more difficult thing to do is keep believing and keep hoping and keep crying out the spirit of sonship, Abba, Father, you're going to bring me through this, God. Have you ever thought what would happen if Cinderella just sat in a room and gave up? What if she just sat in a room and said, hmm, and she didn't try to get out? What would happen if she didn't want to try on the other slipper? What if she just given up hope? 
Well, that would be a sad thing, right? The movie wouldn't have ended the right way, and old Prince Charming wouldn't have ever found her, right? And, 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 and they wouldn't have gotten married and lived happily ever after. And I was thinking about this week, what did that prince want to give them? Wanted to give her a castle, wanted to give her a, a home, wanted to make her a queen. She was going to be rich the rest of her life. Okay, he wanted to give her a lot of good stuff. She, had, she was losing hope. She found hope, you know, got married. But what does the Bible tell us about us? Listen, we, we began this service today. We were singing a song of love, right? That God loves us, that Jesus loves us, that he is for us. I couldn't run. I couldn't run from your presence. Well, the, the, the prince in this movie, he's searching all over the kingdom trying to find her, right? I couldn't, I couldn't run. I couldn't run from your arms. You know, the Bible tells us, guys, that the author of creation, the one who flung the stars in space, is in love with you. And that, guess what? This is good news for all the men in the room. He doesn't want to give you a fancy dress. Okay, that's not what it's about. He doesn't want to give you a fancy dress. He doesn't just want to give you a little mansion and let you have a nice little happily ever after life. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to give you eternity. He loves you, and he has so much more than that prince could ever offer Cinderella. He wants a relationship with you. Yeah. Today I'm going to offer a very simple prayer at the end of this message. I just want to invite you, if you never had that relationship with Jesus, just to say, to realize that that the king of the universe has been loving and searching and after you for a really, really, really long time. And he's not going to give up. He's not going to give up. And if you ever start to give up, here's what you need to know. When you hit your rock bottom, if you'll just feel around a little bit, whenever you touch that rock at the bottom, he'll be it. At the very bottom of my life, when I've hit the rock bottom, I found out that Jesus was there. And he was my rock. And I pushed off from him up from there, and he lifted me higher. Jesus loves you guys. He loves you. Gospel and Cinderella, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. If there is anything in you that's covetousness or evil or, or jealousy or, or, or envy, listen, recognize that thing today. Recognize that and realize that's not who called, God called you to be. If you've been comparing yourself to others or even wanting others to fail or wanting what they got, listen, name that thing today. In the next few minutes when I pray, just name that thing and say, God, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to live as a slave to my sin nature. I want to live as a son or daughter of Abba, my Papa, my Daddy God. And I trust the life you've given to me is the life you've given to me, and I'm content with it and I'm happy with it. Thank you. Thank you. And, I, and, and listen, if you came to church today, you've been struggling with hope, Listen, here's what you need to know. God is close to those who are crushed and broken in spirit and that he wants to fill you with all hope. So allow the Holy Spirit to do that this morning. Allow the Spirit of Jesus Christ to kind of put his arms around you and say, listen, everything's going to be all right. It really is. Everything's going to be all right. Would you pray with me? God, you are so good to us, and you know every, every one of us in this place. You know right where we sit, you know all about us. You know our inner thoughts, you know our outer behaviors, and you love us. <laughs> That's amazing that you would know our inner thoughts and our outer behaviors, and that you still love us. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve to have that, but you're such a good God to us. Lord, forgive us when we envy others. Forgive us when we get the evil eye and we look around at other people and their stuff and we want what their stuff is. 
forgive us for those moments and help us to be a people of contentment and happiness with what you've given to us. And Lord, help us to understand that we've never been called to a life of slavery to that old sin nature, but we've been called to a a freedom of sonship and daughtership. So give us that joy, O Lord, to be sons and daughters who are just happy with the life that our Papa God has given to us. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning who showed up to church this morning, they've been struggling with hope. Maybe they've about given up on a situation. Would you remind them that you are the God of all hope? That's who you are. Remind them of that today, God. And would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just put your arm around them, give them comfort, give them encouragement, help them to believe and have faith and to trust that you are going to bring everything that happens to them to their good in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's somebody here in this place today who's never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, maybe they've never understood that you really love them, and maybe even while our our band sang earlier today, maybe that that gospel message, maybe it started to penetrate into a deeper place in our soul, and they said, you know, my God really does love me. I pray, Lord, today that they would trust you as their Savior, they would trust you as the lover of their life, that they just, like a child, they just simply say this, I believe. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died for me. I accept your love, and I give my love back to you the best I know how. A God that I can't see, I trust you. I trust you because I've heard you speaking, your still small voice to me. I want to receive life eternal from you. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you today, and I believe. Thank you, God, for the good work you're doing in so many people's lives here. I just invite you, Lord, continue to do that good work in us forming the image of Jesus inside of every one of us. This is our prayer, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Can you say amen, church? Amen. Hey, listen, a couple of things we're going to close with today. I don't know if you noticed on the way in, we've got watermelons. This is July 4th, Independence Day weekend, and we thought it'd be kind of fun to end today by having some good watermelon eating fellowship time, okay? Uh, So if you are, when you're leaving, we invite you before you ever get to your car, hey, would you stop off for a few minutes, maybe meet a new friend around some good watermelon. We're going to have it out there in the lobby and then out there in the front parking lot. But before we do that, before we do that, we're going to close the day with prayer. Tomorrow morning, we have a team from this church that will be going to Nicaragua. They're going to be there for a week in mission.